most businesses today face two major marketing challenges. One, people are overloaded by information. We're talking about four and a half billion pieces of new content every day. And two, people have much shorter attention spans and spend only about eight seconds on anything before they jump onto the next thing. It's no wonder that companies are struggling to get their message heard. The result of poor marketing communications is that half of all new business ventures fail in their first four years, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. With this in mind, Visual Storytelling Institute co-founders Shlomi Ron and Alex Caravallo asked themselves, how can businesses connect more powerfully with audiences? Welcome to Visual Storytelling Today. This is your number one source for the latest and most effective business marketing strategies you can apply today to rise above the noise. From video and infographics to augmented and virtual reality, join us every month to meet notable visual storytellers and discover their marketing insights and stories. Here's your host, Alex DeCaravallo. Hey, good morning, Jay. It's, uh, it's great to be on the show with you. Um, hi, 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 Alex. Hey, So, you know, I've had the great privilege of, of knowing you for, what is it, the last 12 or 13 years? From those days yeah, of... Uh, yeah. yeah. So, from uh, the blogs in Paris and, and the web conference and... Uh, Reading yeah, in Copenhagen. So it's yeah. incredible. Those were those were like the heydays. Those were those. Were, it was a startup, something huge back then, I, and I didn't realize how big it was going to be. We were so young back then too, so everything was new. <laughs> everything was new, yeah. yeah. And and at the time, you were one of the top bloggers. I think one of the top ten or hundred bloggers. Yeah, in the world. I would have been. I would have been. Yeah, I was probably the, a lot of top bloggers. I was. I was trying to what if me and the guys were grew, we were, we were drawing cartoons. So it wasn't like I was the top, it was, it was, there were very few cartoonists blogging back then, so I, I kind of stood out. It wasn't because I was smarter than anybody else. And wow. Your blog was kind of uh, addictive, you know. I think the first time I, uh, I saw your cartoon, I was like, what is this? It, you know, it had such a, uh, like, uh, it's, it's, in, a, in, a, in a way, it's poignant. It's also incisive. It, it just grabs you, and you're like, yeah. "Wow, let's talk about my life." So well, well, the, thing, the, thing, the thing was back then, up, up until the time the blogs came along, before the internet, really, you had to, to get to get your stuff published. You had to have somebody else agree to publish it, and so you had to jump through a lot of hoops. So you had to be like, you had to invent a property. So you had to invent. You know, a bubbly ducky or a Charlie Brown or Garfield or something like that, and you have to kind of build it into a product, and then they'd have to go through all the whatever you want to call it, all the all the machinations, uh, and, and or or you need an editor, or a magazine, or something. You can put a filter, stroke gatekeeper, stroke, you know. But with blogs, it didn't cost anything. You see, it didn't, you didn't have to pay a webmaster. You you, you just scan it and put it up there, and you can do whatever you want. And because I had already kind of renounced all ambition of being professionally, I did just do what I liked. And so that way to stand out. And, and see, back then, that was still considered impertinent to be just for a cartoonist right. to do what he likes because, you know, right. meant that I hadn't gone through the proper channels. I mean, it's not ridiculous saying it now 15 years later, but that's kind of how it was seen. But, you know, again, um, but now everybody does it. So now it's, um, 
So, yeah, but, just so, but, but you grew that. You grew that into more than, uh, you know, just, just the blog with cartoons. You then started to talk about marketing and the best of oh, yeah. advertising. Yeah. And you, you did the uh, Hugh Train manifesto, you know, following the Clue Train. Well, well, there was I, the I found out, yeah, well, I found out a lot of, you know, quote-unquote, illustrator bloggers find out, find out the hard way. It's just because somebody wants to take a picture of you, take, take a picture of themselves with you at a, at a conference. You know, take a selfie with you. It doesn't mean they want to give you money. This is an internet thing. It doesn't need line up to give you cash. And so you actually need some kind of business. So um, right. the cartoons, to me, the cartoons were never the thing. The cartoons were always the catalyst of something else. Yeah. No. They're always like, uh, to me, they're always the, uh, you know the, the old story of you know uh, people found a Southwest Airlines, and then that that lasts for about a week. Uh, when your fan base cashes in on that, you cash in on your fan base. But then after a while, you have to ask, well, what problem are I actually solving for these people? Right. And then they, then you have an actual business. We start asking that question and trying to answer it. And so and so, I mean, Jason, you know my. Business partner, you know, Gabe Lloyd, co-founder. I mean, yeah, we've been working together for 12, 13 years, something like that. We really that though. You know, what problem we're solving? You know, what, 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 how is it going to move somebody else's needle? Because if it doesn't, then we don't really, we're not really, we're just whistling, we're just whistling Dixie. You know what I'm so, right. so anyway, I think, I think anybody who's tried to be a, a Web 2.0 or a, you know, post blog social media person has seen this. Anyone who's been on social media in the social media space for more than four years has seen it evolve fast, one or two generations, has seen the needs right. change, has seen the business model change, have seen having to keep on reinventing the offerings. That makes any sense. Uh, right. so the kind of advice that would have, you know, you know, that one or two people knew 10 years ago now thousands of people know, and all of a sudden, that, that, that specialist knowledge is not special anymore. So you have to, you know, keep ahead of the curve, I guess. Um, yeah. And, yeah. And so, and, and to, to, to be fair, to be fair, to be fair, enough, me and Jason, I mean, we saw that coming, I'd say, pretty quickly. You know, we saw that coming pretty quickly. We said, you know, this, this stuff will last. Something else will change. And that's what happened, so that's fine. So. Right. Because you, uh, so because you were working, uh, you were creating these things called global microbrands. And you've done a number of them. Right. Like, and then you get, get that right. personal hook. Yeah. And then, yeah, uh, there was a, yeah. Yeah. We're, we're trying to use the internet to kind of create these, these kind of brands that had global reaches, you know, that could, like, because with the internet, you know, you could, Build a tribe of users around the globe for very little money. I mean, with a caveat, this was like, this is 15 years ago. You have, this idea right. Where right. you have a product, whatever the product may be, and you have, whatever the number may be, a thousand people, 10,000 people, whatever, a hundred people around the globe want to give you money. And you use the internet, stroke blog, stroke 2.0, stroke social media. To get them corralled, <laughs> to get it, to get it, you know. Um, so right now we have a our main thing 
you know, ever since Facebook comes along, you know, we don't find Facebook a very good marketing platform. So we, but we sent our email, uh, MailChimp, and that, that kind of, that kind of keeps our tribe engaged. And that's our main way of keeping our tribe engaged. Um, you know, that's still the case in five, five years, I have no idea. I mean, I mean, things come down the road, we, you know, we, we see Snapchat, and we say, what if this works? It goes, eh, not for us, but never mind, you know, I mean, you tinker with stuff. I, I think, I think, uh, you tinker with stuff, and trying to get 100% into everything is just going to kill you. <laughs> There's no point doing that. Uh, no. So here, I'm, I'm, I'm interested in the, uh, in the visual aspect of, of, of what you do. So, you know, I'd like to, I'd like, first, I'd like to get your backstory. You know, how, how did you get into copywriting first? I think you worked for your brand. So how did that happen? Oh, okay. And then we'll talk about, we'll, we'll talk about what you're doing today with, with Cape and Boyd and, and the culture change okay. and culture science, okay. what you're doing. And then okay. a little bit about what you think, uh, where all of this is going. So, um, so how did you get into copywriting in, in the first place? Well, okay, that's really easy. Uh, I was strong cartoon. I was an English major at the University of Texas, and uh, I was drawing cartoons for the local paper, the Austin Chronicle. But they were paying me fifteen dollars a week, which is actually quite a lot. I wow. Didn't see that at the time. They're actually quite a lot. Compared to how much they're paying now, that's actually quite a lot of money. Um, and I thought to myself. Okay, well, this is not going to work out. I better get a job. So I took an advertising class at university, and and I kind of said, well, this kind of uses the same part of my brain as cartooning, except you get paid. <laughs> you have a job, you know. So I was moving, moving to over that. But to me, it was just like a just like a sideways move. It wasn't really a, a complete departure. It's just like, okay, well, this is sort of similar kind of, but also. Uh, yeah, it gave me uh, access to the real world. It gave me, you know, got me into into the business world where you know where the action is. And uh, but as you probably can imagine, being an advertising business is kind of a grind. It's yeah. pretty hard work. It's pretty. It's pretty. Uh, it's pretty unforgiving. And so you always in the back of your mind, yeah, you know, you're, you're what comes. Next, I can't. I would be able to do this forever, and so um, and just when my uh, my career started to kind of plateau or about to go into terminal decline, the internet came along, and uh, I thought to myself, uh, you know, blogging came along, and I thought to myself, well, I decided about my cartoons. I started I started publishing my my cartoons online, and thinking to myself, well. You know, I'm never going to be accepted by Hollywood. I'm never going to be called for a meeting in New York. I'm never going to be uh, anointed by the chosen ones. You know, I'm never going to be on the A-team. I'm never going to be picked. What I can do is I can pick myself. What I can, what I can do is I can say, okay, find 10,000 people in the, on the internet who like my stuff and give me money every year. You know, and that's all I have to do. And that's kind of what I started to do. Uh... Um, I mean, what, you started to you started to publish it without really knowing where that was going to go. You were just uh, yeah, you're building yeah, an audience had, in the community. I had an audience. I had an audience, and then, and then once you have an audience, um, you know, you, you want two things. 
you know, you, you, start, you, just, you don't have the answer overnight. It takes years. And you say, okay, what, 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 what am I really selling and what are they really buying? <laughs> Who are these people? What, what are they really buying? What, you know, what do I really need? It's uh, because people don't need art, really. But they need something else. And what is that other thing? And so, and so, um, during the last you know, 13 or 14 years, you know, Jason and I have been asking that question, kind of evolving that. And, uh, and what we've decided is what, you know, we sell the corporate, you know, we sell the corporate, corporate clients, we sell the businesses. What businesses really want to do more than anything else is make a difference. And to do that, you need a culture that allows you to do that. And to do that, you need a culture that allows the kind of behaviors that allows you to build that. And so what we want to do is kind of create art that reinforces those kind of behaviors. And also, not just art, create other tools that help companies, help leaders reinforce certain kind of behaviors that are uh, good for building strong, powerful cultures. And there's, you know, there's art element to that, and that's my, that's my main jam, but yeah, there are other parts too as well. You know, data collection and, uh, you know, Six Sigma stuff and stuff I'm just completely unqualified to talk about. <laughs> so, it's quite, you know, it's, it's, quite com it's quite complex, but I mean, I'm on the art side of it, so. But the, the, the basic the basic value proposition is, you know, we can help your culture uh, by, because we create these tools that reinforce certain kind of behaviors that improve culture. And that's, and that's, and that's the money shot. That's what we're doing. Art, right? Large is means for and so art, so that that's the kind of real life application to making art for me at least. Right. So this is the culture science uh, methodology that you're using at, at Getting Bold. Yeah, we call it culture. Yeah, uh, and we also call it culture design as well. Culture design when we try to create we use we use the science to kind of create the design, I suppose, or. Kind of, there's a kind of gray area between the two, I suppose. Uh, you can call it culture science if you want. Um, yeah, and we try to apply that. Uh, I'm more on the artistic side of it, so I'm not, like I said, I'm not, I'm not the expert, but um, yeah, we, we try to, yeah, we try to, we try to use kind of culture design to kind of, kind of change companies, and we try to create tools that help make it make it easier to do that. Yeah, that's kind of what we do. Right. So, yeah. Um, and, so, and, and it's been pretty, pretty successful. I mean, we, we uh, you know, we, we have clients like Zappos and Rackspace and Microsoft, and you know, some pretty good clients. You know, we, we, we need some pretty interesting work with people. You know, and uh, it's and it's, inter it's interesting for us because you know, as an artist, you, you're you're going into an organization and you're not just making content. You're not just you know, you're not just you know, creating. You're kind of creating stuff that actually changes people. You're not just kind of creating digital landfill for people, content landfill. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. You're actually trying to you're actually trying to create something actually meaningful to people, or else it doesn't work. So you might as well go and try to kind of uh, create that. So it's not like just creating writing memos for people. You know, writing memos for cash. You're you know, just sending that email that don't get read. You're actually kind of creating stuff that's designed for impact. And also, right, you know, right. Okay. So, so your cartoons are designed for impact. It, it, 
to combine uh, like your copywriting or some text. That's images. Yeah, yeah. Right? And yeah. So that well, cartoons are combination. Cartoons are very cartoons are very uh, I think very impactful media because they're they're fun and they're simple. And they're very uh, they're also very minimalist. You know, you, you don't you don't really need anything in a cartoon that doesn't belong there, so you can take everything out. <laughs> you don't need a lot of you don't need a lot of detail, you don't need a lot of texture. You can just remove everything but what you need. If that makes any right. sense. And that's and that's kind of a, and, and uh, like a, like a good like a well packed backpack on a camping trip. You just don't take anything you don't need along with you because there's no point. And that's a very liberating thing. And I like I like that liberation that cartoons have. And also, you know, a cartoon takes five seconds to to hit somebody, whereas you know, a book or a memo or something takes hours. You know, so it's it's very it's, it's very um, it's very quick, you know, and it's uh, and it doesn't look like an advertisement, which you know, which is what the advantage of using a photograph. It just looks like an advertisement, you know. It looks like something you see in a magazine, you know. Yeah, so I, I think, yeah. There's a there's a I would say there's a aha moment. You look at it and then you're like aha, and that grabs you emotionally exactly, as exactly. well. Yeah, exactly. It kind of connects with you emotionally, and, that, and that's when a good cartoon works, you know. I mean, I met this kind of, well, he's not famous in America, he's quite well known in Scotland, named Magnus Linklater. He's a kind of well-known editor uh, of the Scotsman, the newspaper editor, like, been around for ages. And, you know, he's, you know, he's a well-known journalist. And he said, yeah, cartoons, all a cartoon has to do is work. It doesn't, have to, it doesn't matter how well they're written or drawn, they just have to work. They either work or they don't. If they work, they work. And if they don't work, they fail. You know, and, right. and that's kind of, uh, I like a kind of binary aspect to them. You know, it's, it's like, uh, I'll, I'll get, I'll get, uh, people, people uh, writing in saying, well, I did not like that cartoon. I go, well, I already drawn it and you already read it. So I'm afraid I can only, you know, I'll make the next one better, but that's about all I can promise. <laughs> I'll try to make the next one better, but I mean, what do you want me to go and erase it? No, I've already, you already, you already read it. Yeah. It only took five seconds. You're right. It didn't like you spend an hour on it. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, right. so it's very, it's very, it's very, uh, so it's, it's a media that, you know, when you're trying to get messages throughout organizations, it's a way to, uh, to me, I like it because I think it's a great way to, to get people's attention in that kind of fun, non-invasive way, you know, as opposed to, you know, let's buy a piece of stock photography and, Write a piece of copy and make it look like everything else, but, you know, in corporate America, you know, the usual, yeah. you know, the usual shit, you know, the same stuff yeah. everybody else does, and then wonder why it gets ignored. And, and we actually, uh, absolutely. You know, so, yeah. So one of uh, so you uh, you've had this viral hit. Uh, I mean, you've had many, but one of them is the information knowledge cartoon. Where on yeah. one side you have information and, you know, a bunch of dots, and then knowledge where it's connecting all the dots. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. And, and that's been copied and whiffed on, and people have taken it and used it to make their own cartoon. They make their own versions yeah. of it, they remix it. Um, yeah, yeah. They remix it's, it, yeah. they have their own ideas. Yeah, they 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 use it as a uh, launch pad for something else, you know, some third thing, which is 
car more interesting than anything I, I drew. So I like that. And, uh, and it was way of, uh, yeah, so what do we do? We, we just, and, and, and you know, we, we have a website somewhere that we were stacking up, we were, a Tumblr blog where we show them. So we're not trying to suppress it at all. We're going, yeah, it's kind of interesting. Right. So uh, people have really appropriated it for themselves. They've, they've, yeah, you know, yeah, and that's, yeah, yeah. Memes, memes, memes are like that. I mean, and the thing about memes is like you can't really control them. You, and if you try to control them, nothing happens. <laughs> why, why do you think this one in particular resonated uh, so much? Um, I think, I think, well, I think, you know, what is the difference between information and knowledge? And I think it's kind of like, uh, it kind of visually, uh, it kind of visualize, visually contextualized it without saying anything. Okay, so, so it's just kind of, just kind of it, it joined the dots, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah, it, it, because everyone, everyone's kind of trying to figure out the difference between, you know, just bits and stuff, you know, the, you know, the, the ones and zeros out there, but, you know, the trains of bits of information out there that we all have. Um, do stuff that's actually true, true, that's actually truly meaningful and truly useful. You know, I mean, the world's a complicated place. You know what I mean? There's like, yeah. you know, your coffee mug has trillions of bits of information in it. You know, if you look at it closely enough, um, you know, the relationships between things are insanely complicated, insanely complex, and we are kind of born into this universe of infinite complexity and we need stuff that kind of how do you say simplifies our lives that makes things that makes things less complex and the things that you like they're going to make your life simpler are actually very rare <laughs> right. so, oh, the thing that come along and actually you know like I'm trying to make a good example of um, Something that make your life a lot simpler, a lot easier. Like an axe in the woods. <laughs> you have an axe, your life's a lot easier than if you don't have an axe or a knife or something like that, you know. Um, so. That's interesting. So, yeah, yeah that's really interesting. I, I, I like that. So, you know, what would be your tips for marketers to, to capture audiences' attentions? I think. It sounds like that, that is a, one of the tips is, you know, make it, make it easier for your clients or your customers, like make it no, easier. I, 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 well, I think I'll tell you, tell you why they make it harder on themselves, right? Uh, I'll, I'll tell you, you know, we, we, because of where we are in business alone, we see a lot of business related content out there, a lot of marketing material, a lot of, you know, a lot of, in terms of there's a lot of, you know, a lot of writing out there. And most of it's ghastly, most of it's awful. You know, most of it's just like, you know, corporate bubble speak. That no one's gonna read, no one's gonna care about, no one's gonna retain, no one's gonna remember, no, you know, it's just, it's just gonna go and off somewhere and die, you know? It means nothing to anybody, but yet they spend thousands of millions of billions of dollars writing this stuff. And I was thinking about this, why, why do they do this? Why, is, why do they waste all this energy? And then I realized that they're doing advertising as well. It's because they're writing for their boss. They're not writing for the people who are actually using the information. They're not writing for the end user. They're writing for the, they're writing, they're writing to show their boss 
then they ticked up all the boxes. And, and, and the boss has all these boxes he wants to tick off. And everyone's ticking up all their boxes. Meanwhile, the end user doesn't care. Doesn't care about your damn boxes. He just cares about why should I be interested in what are you going to do for me? And there's that kind of disconnect between your little list of boxes and, and reality. So, and, and I think that's what marketers fail the most is that they, they make it all about themselves. They forget it ain't about them. They forget to apply common sense to their own marketing. They say, well, why would anybody want to read a phone book? Why does anybody, why do you think anyone would want to bore themselves shitless listening to your shit? They don't. And so why do you spend all this time in the meeting trying to convince yourself they do? Well, they don't. People don't care about boring stuff. They don't care about you. What do you care about? Talk about that. Right. Yeah. One, of, one of my favorite cartoons that you've made is, is the one that says, you know, if you spoke to people like an ad, they'd punch you in the stomach. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, if you talk to people the way, if you talk to advertising, if you talk to people the way advertising talk to people, they punch you in the face. <laughs> right. And they're not, they're exactly true. And, and so, and, you know, there's a, a rare marketer who can just kind of, uh, Talk, talk to people like a human being. You know, you know who did a really good job? I can't remember his name, but the, the CEO of a uh, shaver commercial, the Shave Club, Dollar Shave Club. The yeah. CEO who, who, tur that, that, who turned you around the warehouse. And, you know, you know that was completely honest. That, was completely, that kind of totally came out of his, that was totally him, you know what I mean? Right. It wasn't like, it worked because he, he, wasn't, trying to, he wasn't trying to be something else. He's just talking about a razor. He wasn't talking about some little pontificating. Right. Yeah. Hugh, where, where do you draw your inspiration from? Are, are, like, are there other cartoons? Is it uh, other ads? Like, ooh, oh, boy. Oh, boy, oh, boy. You, uh, boy, <laughs> boy. I, you know, I, 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 I think, okay. Um, not really cartoons so much. No, not art so much. I like art a little bit, you know. Art, I get tired of art really quickly. I like I like reading a lot, and I like jazz records. And I like music, but I really like uh, I, I I like uh, I like I like jazz. I like jazz records, and I like I like to read books. And those two things get me fired up the most, I think. And uh, and then I take that kind of fired up feeling and say, okay, let's see if I can trans let's see if I can capture that in, in a line drawing. And I you know I just try to do that, I suppose. And then, and then, uh, yeah, the, I mean, the world's a pretty interesting place, you know. I mean, uh, to, to me, I think I'm very interested in what motivates human beings more than, some people are very interested by technology, especially in my certain, you know, and everyone's, like, interested in, like, the latest fad or the latest trend or the latest this or the latest that. But I'm actually interested in, like, what actually, what actually drives human behavior. Like, why, what's the real reason that people are doing things? You know, what, what's the, what, why are they really saying what they're saying? I always had to kind of get, get behind, you know, I always had to get behind the curtain and say, okay, why is he really doing this? You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, what, yeah. what motivates somebody to go, let's say, okay, here's an example. You know, what does somebody, why does somebody, like, need everything to go, I don't know, let's say, go to Silicon Valley and, you know, take a massive pay cut or a massive, Dive his quality of life, just so he can, you know, 
sitting in front of a computer all day. His job isn't very good. But why does he feel like compelled that he has to, why does he have to feel like he has to do that? Why, why, why do people have FOMO if they're missing out? Why do people feel like, you know, they have to do things in case, you know, and that's just one question. Why do people, why do people do this? Why do people do that? that, that that's a big influence for me, is kind of, is human motivation. So, so, uh, Huh. You know, when I listen, when I listen, you know, when Mark, like somebody like Mark Zuckerberg says, "Yeah, we're going to connect the world," you kind of say, "Well, what is he really? What is he really trying to do?" Because the world's already connected. We don't need you. <laughs> so, what's your real motivation? Right. <laughs> what are you really trying to do? Right. What are you really afraid of? What's Mark? What's Mark Zuckerberg afraid of? Well, that's interesting. And why? And 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 afraid of that? Then why is he talking about something else? I don't know. It's just, I'm not saying he's a bad guy. He's no different than anybody else. I'm just saying it's interesting to me what people say, what people do are two different things. But I, I like to I don't think about the gap in between. That's interesting. So do you um so when that inspiration comes to you, you have to write it down right away. I suppose. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it can come yeah. it can come at any time. Yes. Yeah. yeah, I suppose. I mean I carry a notebook around with me. I mean I'm actually pretty good at remembering stuff, so I don't really have to feel like, I, you know, I wouldn't like interrupt this conversation or write something down the way I used to. I just say, uh, yeah. you know, I'll, you know, I mean, sometimes I'll, I won't, like, I used to carry around a sketchbook and that got annoying, so I don't have an idea. I'll just, like, type it in my phone and keep it because that's less obtrusive. Right. And then I'll go, I'll, you know, I used to, I used to go in public a lot more than I do now just because people, it, it, it kind of draws attention to people. Draws attention to yourself, and I don't like that so much. So, right. Yeah. yeah. See, what do you think is going to happen uh, in the future? What do you see as the future of, of visual storytelling? Uh, what do you think about augmented reality, virtual reality? Okay. Uh, I, well, okay. Uh, well, I'm an expert in augmented reality, uh, or, or virtual reality. I mean, you should ask Robert Scoble. Uh, <laughs> virtual reality is kind of. I'm sure it's wonderful. I haven't seen anything that's kind of turned my, my life better yet. I mean, okay, maybe virtual surgery is kind of neat. I don't know, some kind of, maybe you can do engineering, kind of, that's kind of neat, I guess. But I mean, remote, you can do stuff remotely, I suppose. That's quite nice. Oh, living reality, well, we already got that a little bit on the phone. It, you know, it's like, Okay, that's, okay, maybe, maybe the, uh, maybe a uh, parent goggles is a more augmented experience. Like, do you remember whether anyone's walking around looking through goggles? Because that'd be kind of weird and alien. That, that, that'd have an unintended consequence. I mean, have you ever talked to somebody with a Google Glass? It's bloody annoying. <laughs> you know what I mean? Absolutely. So, and also, because I'm older, you know, I don't want to, I mean, how much, once, you know, once you're over 40, I mean, how much change do you actually want to see in your life? <laughs> you know? <laughs> I mean, really. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I'm not, I mean, um, as opposed to visual storytelling, I mean, well, storytelling is storytelling. I don't, I don't know the difference between visual and other kinds of storytelling. Um, I'm not an expert in these matters. 
You know, you look at okay, the book of Genesis, right? Yeah. You know, in the beginning, you know, you know the the apple, Adam and Eve. That story, if the academic to believe, is over ten thousand years old. Maybe it's almost twenty five thousand years old. And we have to say, why do? How does the story last twenty five thousand years? What's buried in that story? What's you know what's what's bundled in that story that keeps it alive? Because stories that aren't interesting die. You know, you know what what's the what's the thing that really makes a story interesting? And the older I get, the more I figure you know, you'll figure out more from that. Not by going online and reading you know some thought leader douchebags blog post about it. <laughs> you'll learn more about it, like me, like me. You'll learn more about it by going to read the Iliad. Or you know, going to go read Gilgamesh, or going to go read, you know, uh, Plutarch, or you know, the very old stories. And you see story, these these stories about you know bronze bronze age warriors, and you're kind of going, "Wow, this is really interesting. Why is this interesting? You know, these kind of what Bill Burnback used to call simple eternal human truths. And, those, and that's and that's what's interesting. Is reminding reminding yourself, what are they? And then bringing light to them, making them crash and new again. Uh, and whether you do it through whatever blogs or virtual reality glasses doesn't really matter. I mean, yeah, they'll be kind of like a bunch of hucksters trying to make, you know, trying to bring us the next new thing, you know, whether augmented reality stories or content marketing stories or whatever that's what you want to talk about. But you know, we're talking about the future of storytelling. Look at the past. Look, read the Iliad. You know, read, you know, read, 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 you know, read the Viking sagas, you know, especially read the Iliad. Iliad's fantastic. <laughs> read, you know, uh, read the old stuff because it's really, right. you know, because that's, that's where the insight is. The, the, the stuff that doesn't change over millennia. That's, that's really right. interesting really contain those themes that uh, yeah. you know, those things that connect. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, exactly. I don't want this half-hour deconstructing you know, the book of Genesis. You know, but I mean, right. you know, the uh, the uh, yeah, they the they say one of the things that made our brains evolve to high, such a high level is because it allowed us to detect snakes, and that's one of the reasons that the serpents in the is it is in the Genesis story because as soon as we became aware, as soon as we became aware, the serpent was the, the same time we became aware of our consciousness. So I mean, it's a biological, it's a biological connection with the actual mythological connection. Things like that, you know. I mean. <laughs> that's what I mean. There's, there's, there's stuff that gets bundled into into these stories that you you, you know you look under the hood is really, really fascinating. You know why why why, yeah. why you know you read like a book like uh, oh I don't know like, let's say uh, Madame Bovary or you know that's yeah, a book that's you know 150 years old and it's so uh, such a great book. It's such a great book and it's so powerful and. Dark and <laughs> why? 
why why right. why does a story about somebody who isn't dead by now bother us so much? Because in modern bravery we see ourselves. And nothing scares us more than ourselves. So uh, right. yeah. 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 whatever shit's coming down with her can happen to us. <laughs> yeah. So, so yes, so the young people listening to this, yes, take your online courses, yeah, read all the blogs, yeah, you know, hang out with all the gurus, yeah, you know, all the sure, but go back and read the classics, and that'll, that'll give you a layer, that'll give you a layer of, of meaning and knowledge to your, to your, to your, to your your skill set that you even know that you even know existed, and more importantly, your competitors don't really exist. So <laughs> that's my advice. I think that's brilliant advice, and I think uh, if you really want to be a good marketer, go and read those classics and and read those stories because that's really how you're going to connect best with with everyone. Uh, like yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, like read about Julius Caesar, read about Alexander, you know, read about Alexander Hamilton, read about you know. General Grant, read about, you know, um, Emily Dickinson, read about, you know, read, read about the great people. Don't read about, you know, don't read about kind of goo flavor of the month, you know. The, you know, I don't know, find out what the real big ideas are, the real big people are, not just the real cool, like, you know, flavor of the month. Right, right. But you know, that's what the universe is supposed to be. That's what the universe is supposed to be. I'm not sure. That. I'm not sure that's true anymore. I think we're not trying to get your professors fired <laughs> or whatever. Whatever the hell is up to these days. Right. Well, Hugh, I think. Yeah, that was brilliant, Hugh. Uh, thanks so much. Uh, you know, I, I learned a lot. Um, how can how can our viewers best contact you? Uh, let's see. Well, you can go uh, go to gapingvoid.com, um, and then uh, that's, that's that's the website. And then my Twitter is Hugh Cards H U G H C A R D S. So I'm kind of Hugh Cards or Gaping Void. I'm pretty easy to find. Okay, great. So we're going to put this uh, this uh, recording up, and uh, we'll have uh, mm -hmm. show notes, and we'll uh, put resources on, on visualstorytell.com. And um, yeah. you know, this is a monthly show. Thank you so much uh, for participating. Visual Storytelling Today is recorded in Miami, Florida. The show is published exclusively by Visual Storytelling Institute. Learn more at visualstorytell.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on the iTunes Store. Until next time. Don't let your big story wait to be told.